Kiora Koto no my Harimai. Welcome to Queenstown Live Podcast. Uh, it is a beautiful, cold, sunny day in Queenstown today. Um, and I am here with Ariga Martin. I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, I loved your email this morning. You were like, it's like a blind date. Don't even know who I am. <laughs> totally. I'm very excited to talk to you, and I am now one of your biggest fans. I've just been listening to some of the other amazing women you bring in, and yeah, what an inspiring purpose that you have to it bring all very, incredible it, women together. Yeah, and I was just saying to my my mom's here at the minute, and I was saying it kept me completely safe, well, more sane than I would have been in lockdown, because I was like, I need to go away for half an hour and just talk to another woman in the world and not be near my family, so um, the fact that I've resurrected it has been a really joyful thing to do so you're an innovation advisor product leader venture catalyzer art lover and I put all round legend because I've been doing some reading about you um American who moved to New Zealand and was one of the founding employees at lynda.com um lynda.com I only discovered a few years ago and was like my husband was like where have you been and it's an incredible resource for literally learning everything and anything. Um, it, what? Well, I'm amazed. To, yeah, your husband's right. It was definitely one of the biggest learning resources that ever existed. Um, that was a long time ago. I started straight out of uni. So what I that was my first job. I started as an intern shrink wrapping DVDs. And that was before streaming video was even a thing, but it also just sold in 2015 to LinkedIn. So it's called LinkedIn Learning now. And a lot of people don't know the brand from the last few years because it's gone away. It was sunsetted. And don't realize, don't realize that it's there as a resource. Like, yeah, it's incredible. So here with all the, like the, um, the, the national libraries in New Zealand, you get access to it. I didn't realize. Which yeah. Is- so they went from being what a mom and pop shop, really, but they did live training in the workplace and a corporate sort of live training service. And that went really well for years until 9-11 hit the U.S. Right. And corporate travel and budgets were just parked literally overnight. So I've never seen anything like it, a pivot literally in 24 hours where Linda decided it was time to put everything she's got into the streaming video content, which basically was kind of an experiment before. And I was her little intern who actually had figured out how to edit and produce some of the content. And suddenly I was running all of production for Linda, basically (laughs) capturing all the live training and putting it on the website, which was, you know, a lot of firsts back then. That would have been early 2000s. What an experience. So where did your where did your love of tech come from? Can you pinpoint a place? Well, it was growing up with Linda. Essentially, I was there for 13 years and we were a team of 10, you know, when I started and we became a team of several hundreds. And so I was part of that whole startup growth journey, which is, you know, you wear lots of hats in the beginning. You're a generalist across lots of things. And then slowly you begin to form high performing teams that you work with and that you support for growth. And that's, an amazing opportunity, especially straight out of uni, to have that experience. And I feel so thankful to have worked for, you know, Linda, who's an amazing female founder who is so passionate about what she wanted to do. 
really believing in educating and learning, you know, as a concept and how to bring that to the masses. She used to say she would know that she had succeeded when she'd be on Oprah. And when Linda.com was a household, what, what did she say? Household word. And uh, she never quite got to that stage, but she was definitely on, you know, some of the big Fortune 500 publications. And she's considered, you know, to have really succeeded. She exited the business very well. She's now living her dream as an artist and a philanthropist. Yep. Amazing. But yeah, being part of that whole startup growth journey and serving, you know, hundreds of customers and all the way up to the millions over a period of a few years is an amazing way to learn technology because you, everything's bursting at the seams and you're constantly needing to pivot and iterate and rethink and rebuild and build for scale in all directions. In yeah. all directions. And I've been part of a few businesses that have, you know, um, we've grown and shifted and developed and gone through the roller coaster that is, you know, that business journey. So for women out there, because I work with a lot of women who are either doing things on the side that they want to make the, the thing or they're, you know, head down, bum up, trying to just get through those up and downs. What some of, what are some of the kind of, I suppose, gold nuggets that you've got around women just keeping going like that? You know, when you want to just I mean, every day it, it, for for me, it was like, how is this so hard? Like, how is it? And then you have a massive joyful experience in it and you're like, yay. But then, you know, the day later, it's just, you want to kind of sit in it and bottle up that feeling. Yeah, it sort of goes hand in hand with the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, and making sure that you are always very aligned with your values and your purpose as a human. So I always find that I have a real strong litmus test of what is important to me. And I'm constantly ma making sure I'm checking in with myself and that I'm doing something that I know is going to have the right type of impact for me as a person. Yeah. And so I'm pretty particular about saying no to things that are outside of that box. That said, as a maximizer and as someone who does create things from nothing, and I love to, you know, catalyze an idea and spark something that has never been done before, which usually means you're kind of eating the whole world, you're taking on everything. It is important to have boundaries. And I know that's a big word for you on this podcast, but yeah. making sure you're doing the right self-care. And sometimes that's um, learning how to be a bit selfish. So, you know, scheduling in time in your calendar for a facial, on, you know, monthly, making sure that you're doing your sleep ins or your regular walk, whatever it is that you really need to kind of recharge your batteries and stay grounded and joyful. It's all about joy and the pursuit of happiness. You've got to make sure that you have joy in what you're doing. And sometimes it's just little tweaks having that special green smoothie that you love and yep. making sure that that you've got all the ingredients ready to go for that smoothie at the right time. And, you know, when you're busy and you're caught up in um, the whirlwind that is launching something new and different, sometimes those are the things that fall by the wayside. So sometimes it's really easy to kind of remind people, you love that regular pattern. You should be doing that. Make sure yep. you do that. And yeah, hold, make sure you know, holding your people accountable to doing it is. Yeah. Yeah. My, I talk a lot about this, about when I'm planning my week 
is putting self-care in first. So that is a non-negotiable. It's in every week. It's reoccurring. And I had a really interesting conversation with somebody the other day because the word self-care, it's such a word now that a lot of people don't understand what that word actually means because their learning of what self-care is maybe came from their mum and their mum's impression of self-care was not there was no boundaries there was never any time for themselves so then you I was like oh but of course you learn from who you know your parents or whoever brought you up were your greatest teachers and that introduction to I am really important in this process um and if I'm not all right nobody else that's the same in my house if I'm not all right my kid is not all right yeah so I have to, if I am if I go and do my own thing I am a thousand percent a better mom to her yeah totally it's like a ripple in the pond you know you can feel it when when the imbalance is not there and um yeah. I love what you said about the evolution of thinking because you know a couple generations ago self-care wasn't even a thing nope like it would just be completely ridiculous why would you be wasting time talking about something that's intangible and not like work product and delivery yeah. But I think, you know, that awareness of a full range of emotion is also part of self-care and not being uncomfortable with, you know, sadness and grief and some of those emotions that we always try and bury and kind of ignore. I think that's one of the biggest revelations in the last, you know, the last few months or year with, you know, all the uncertainty and kind of chaos in the world being very gentle with yourself is a big part of self-care. And that it means is. it's okay to feel the feelings you feel and you shouldn't, you know, be ashamed of that. And I think that is definitely an evolution from the previous generations that, you know, had a lot of post-traumatic stress from war and were told to, you know, man up <laughs> quite yeah. literally and just kind of keep going head down, no matter what. Yeah. Which, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting actually business pathology that has been persisted for so long that I think is being rethought and reimagined. I which, think it really yeah. yeah, it is because I always talk to women about, you know, where where have you learned about what business is supposed to look like? And when they consider it, they're like often they think, well, I haven't actually thought about that and generally it's some white dude in the 1940s or 50s who's taught you that this is the way it is and it's like, well, at what point do you stop your body and say to yourself, this not this isn't working for me. This doesn't work for me in 2023 as a busy person looking after whoever, doing whatever, juggling a thousand things. And I see, I saw a quote the other day that was about um, people search for self-confidence and actually self-care is one of the biggest forms of self-confidence. It's like allowing yourself to say, I am important is self-confidence. Totally. Rather than I yeah. can walk into a room and talk to a thousand people about my thing. It's actually saying to the world, I can give myself the time and space. To yeah. Be- 100%. Yeah. I mean, how can you possibly bring a business value if you don't value yourself first? That's yep. really important. Yeah. Yep. I love uh, I love how this um, corridor always goes off in another. <laughs> no, you have. A, I have a list of questions to talk okay. about SAS. And okay. it's like, okay. And I'm like, yes. So. On that note, explain to us what SaaS products are. And also, how have you got such a strong sense of that when it's such a, a hustle-dominated culture? Like, where, how 
do you make that integral to what you do? I love that question. And it's a very good one because SaaS, I think, has been part of the reason that tech has succeeded in such a massive way in the last decade, particularly globally. There are all these massive multi-billion dollar unicorns. I mean, lynda.com was one of the first. I think they sold for like, what, 1.7 billion in 2015. So SaaS is a subscription-based offering, um, usually software, and it's a specific design around a consumer or a customer that you want to keep engaged for a long period of time. So the wonderful thing about SaaS is that it is customer-led and customer-driven, so you have to pay attention to how the customer is experiencing the product, which has basically opened up a whole... um, school of thought and approach to building software and product offerings that are about the customer, but also product management. And there's a way of building and leading, um, you know, these tech offerings in a way that actually thinks about self-reflecting a lot and not being the person at the top with all the answers and not having that, that traditional sort of business hierarchy where one person knows best and the the other people kind of turn their thoughts off and just come to work and go through the motions, you know, um, manufacturing style of delivery. So SaaS is a big part of that change to being very aware of um, what it takes to bring out the best in people around you, including your customers first. And so I, I really see SaaS as kind of having created this amazing new way of doing business and that, um, awareness of what drives humans and what their behaviors are. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, now that SaaS has matured to where it's at, I think the the next game changers and the real focus is around human design and how you set up an organization in a different way that's not the old way, which is very hierarchical and very top-down, where you can bring out the best out of teams who are the knowledge workers who have all the IP and value them and retain them and show them, you know, allow them to be their full selves at work. All of that translates into having a very compelling compelling offering because people are really invested in the work they do when they are happy and when they're themselves at work. So, you know, when you find the right organizations out there, like Canva's doing a really great job of it. And it's very rare, you know, when you ask women that question, how did you learn about business? There aren't many examples of organizations that have thriving teams and an incredible revenue growth trajectory, but that is just starting, it started to happen. And um, SaaS has kind of enabled that as a, as a, as a way of building a business, because it's all intangible. It's all code-based. It's all about managing that recurring revenue because you have engaged customers who are very happy with the service and they become almost addicted to it. Um, you know, like binge watching on Netflix. <laughs> it's a typical <laughs> SaaS relationship. Yeah, because I was going to whatever I mean, it takes. <laughs> it's like so. I I work for um, and also work for an NGO, and I I've I went back. I've been back and forth there many times. And in the social sector, it's very interesting going going away from that sector and then going into the business world and then setting up a business and running a business and then going back and seeing how little they use those kind of products. And the amount of time. So, you know, we, we've we had the conversation about Slack. We've had the conversation. The fact, I mean, Slack changed my life. Um, but trying to get them to use it is, it's like, n- no. Basically, no. Water. 
it's totally foreign. Yeah. How is this going to help me? I, well, what's the difference between email and the fact that the, that sector lives in email mm. and it, it drives me insane. And I've yeah. had so many conversations on LinkedIn about the fact that I've just slightly introduced a few things, even things like, you know, you can use an app called Calendly where you can just send people and you don't have to do once it's set up, they're like, it's like their world exploded and yeah. they have now have all this time back. But because but it's, we never taught that stuff in that yeah, world. It's also really tricky because SaaS is now entering into the big corporate space and the enterprise space. And it's now thanks to COVID and the pandemic, all of the big corporates, mostly in the US and globally, particularly led by Microsoft, are now hosted in the cloud. I mean, we can get really nerdy here and I can talk tech you know, oh, for days, yeah. but now <laughs> the big corporates are on board with monthly subscriptions and they understand that there's a point of sale transaction that happens with a manager instead of going through like the old school procurement process where, yeah. you know, security team has to validate and verify where all the data is hosted. And I mean, those are all still important questions, but now that everyone's in the cloud and everybody trusts that the servers are not on premise there's a huge opportunity in the B2B space. So you'll start having better conversations with your yeah. NGOs because there's now an awareness of all these amazing services that started as you know consumer offerings, but are now entering into the more sophisticated, large-scale corporates. And uh, it's so funny too, because there's so much more opportunity in the B2B world. Yeah. The consumer space has like all these amazing revolutionary offerings, you know, like Uber and Airbnb. But in the B2B space, that's really where the next, I think, revolution is coming because now organizations are starting to change the way they structure themselves and the way they think and way, the way they plan strategy. It's much more of a collaborative effort now, which is yeah. what excites me. It really is. And trying to, because we use, I use Miro all the time mm -hmm. and it's just taking it somewhere and showing it to it like we've done our whole strategic plan on on there and showing it to them you know instead of like sit, they're sitting there writing down what they're doing or having it in a google doc or just trying to find and showing it to them as in the way that it can be used and the ease of using it they're they're not their first point isn't now oh, i can't it's i will see yeah. So they've gone from no, absolutely not. This is going to be how am I? I'm I'm a person person. I I deal with people and I deal with people in trauma and crisis. To oh, I can set myself down thirty minutes tomorrow and just sit and walk through this. Um. So it's it's really changed that, it's that initial mindset, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also, just a little tip: whenever you hear a no, it's always not yet. I tell my teams which is always when you know, okay, there's some opportunity to bring a change here, to catalyze something worth doing. You just have to, haven't phrased it in the right way yet. Yeah, we used to always, we used to do a lot of group programs with women. And whenever they'd say, you know, I'm not a tech person, I'm not a money person. We always used to reframe into, I am learning about money or I am learning about tech. And it's like, we get to a certain age and we think, surely I should know this by now. It's like, well, no, why is that? That's not a, a mm. thing. Like the, the fact that I am not, I'm not a natural learner. I want to, I always say this. I, I always say, I want to speak French. I don't want to learn French. 
yeah. you know, I want the wardrobe to be made. I don't want to read about how to make the wardrobe. Drives my business partner insane because she's a lifelong learner. Like, give me more, 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 more. So for me to actually step into that space and say, no, no, no I'm learning how to do that thing. Not, I am not, I'm just not a tech person. I don't know yeah. how to do that. Well, and it's also the right mindset for this period of change we're in, you know, entering into the age of scarcity, um, away from the age of abundance, where there is a lot of volatility and uncertainty, but at the same, you know, other flip side of that is there is massive change and innovation, like what chat GPT and all the AI, AI is opening up. Like we can't define the future right now. It's changing so fast. So you've got to learn, you've got to embrace what you don't know and be excited and relish it. Yep. Totally. So I know you're great. You are. (laughs) Yes. The whirlwind. Um, You're great at moving at pace. How do you slow down? How do you remind yourself? It's such a good question. And (laughs) I get a lot of that from my family. Um, They're a wonderful anchor for me in every way imaginable. Um, You know, yin and yang partnership with my husband. He is a man of the earth, literally, quite literally. He built our house with his bare hands. And he thinks about, you know, day to day, um, you know, what am I doing today? And I'm the visionary that pushes us, you know, 10 years ahead and thinks about all the steps to get there. And he's a, he's the how guy. But I, I really surround myself by people who are different from me. That's one of the big things. And I think it's really important to have people that hold you accountable, kind of like where we started with the self-care conversation when they know when I'm going too fast or when I'm not grounded or I'm getting out of balance, I have people that, you know, help me recognize that and see that, but also, you know, vice versa. I love helping people move faster and helping people open up their minds and being that sort of inspiring force in their lives. So it's healthy. It's really a good, healthy tension and I, yeah, I guess being uh, willing to admit too, that sometimes I'm not right. (laughs) It's a real key aspect of that, which is a lot of what I preach, you know, with um, having that, a lack of that sort of that more decentralized uh, environment for teams is it's important to actually also remind myself of that. And sometimes I don't have the answers and I don't know what the future looks like and being willing to just stay in place. But I'm learning on on that front. <laughs> oh, aren't we all? Aren't we all? I over the past probably two or three years, probably after ten years of therapy, I've learned to really slow down. I live with a man who is well. We were both a thousand miles an hour, and he still is. You know, he's a he's a massive visionary. He's hugely into kind of saving the world or saving, I suppose, saving humans from the like what is going to come in the future, and that is his true core passion is people in the earth what's going on what can I do what can I be part of and I love now having learned about the slowing down process and actually doing less rather than more Mm -hmm. is talking to him about just those real like do you actually need to do that today is that a real priority today um culturally for him saying no is very difficult So Asian culture, never say no, never, you know, never back down from something, always put yourself forward to the stuff. 
And I'm saying, yeah, but uh, the detriment to your family or your ability to have energy for your five-year-old or your ability to get up tomorrow and do that thing really well. And he's, he, I see it in him, really struggles with it. But it's such, nobody ever told me that, you know, a partnership was going to be, that's part of it. Yeah. It this is the person you live with. You have to, and it, and being in my forties, I love being in my forties because a lot of the time I literally say, "Oh fuck it, I don't, don't I don't care anymore." Okay, so satisfying. The older we get, the more we can just you know let those fucks go away. Yep, <laughs> drop yep. them down and not worry totally. about picking them up again. But I think that t- that tension is important, and harnessing tension in all areas of life, particularly when there's so much polarity out there in the world right now. People are on a short fuse and they are reactive very much so. And that's, it's actually okay. But holding the space for that reaction and that tension is something I'm learning much more about because, you know, at a million miles an hour, you sometimes don't worry about the space around you and you take it for granted. And it's so important to be aware of that space. And, you know, if you're in a leadership position to hold that and know what that responsibility really means and, yeah, that's that's a constant evolving learning journey for me. Constantly. And I, I love, we said that we had a conversation the other night and we I said, don't you think it's like a really hard conversation? And I said, don't you think it's awesome though that we can talk about the ugly sides of ourselves to each other? Like yeah. the stuff that we find really, really ugly and really just that angry, gritty stuff that... that isn't it amazing that we can lay that out and say, totally. what, you know, oh my God, that's a bit of me I never wanted you to see. And you're still here. You haven't ran yeah. off screaming down the driveway. You're totally. still sat here. Well, and it's healthy it. to let it out too yeah. and get it out of you. Because when you bottle it in, that's when it does the real damage. And um, yeah, oh, I love where these topics are going. It's it's so great. Business, I know. toxic I- relationship, discussion. <laughs> That's all part of life and more and more, I think that's what's also happening. Your personal life and your business life are the same and they have to be the same. And I think women are helping to model that, you know, being really true to yourself in as people succeed, you know, in, in roles and in business, you know, amplifying the reality of what it's like to be there is really important. Yeah. And we're human beings. We're not, you know, we, I often talk about, we don't, you know, a lot of women have come and said, oh, I've done a business course before. And it talked about scale and it talked about money and it talked about product. And it talk, and I said, and, and they said, but at no point did it ever talk about the emotions that I feel during this thing when I'm trying to do this really important thing and my family come in and it's not a priority to them. And then some, something else happens and then this thing breaks. And then I, you know, and I said, we have, we are humans in amongst all that stuff so life shit happens while we're doing it you know you could put yogurt all over your laptop and you're trying to do this really important thing and it's just like it has to be part of the conversation totally harnessing you know chaos is part of where you find innovation too that you know where it's messy and dysfunctional and not working is where you find those ideas and those opportunities to change things properly yep Yep, absolutely. Sorry, it's lots of noise on my computer here. Oh, no, no, it's all good. Um, So are you ready for some quick fire questions? Yes, if we're at that at that point, I hope they'll talk all quick fire. day. I could talk to you all day. I'm going to have to come and see you and we'll just sit and talk yes. about stuff. Um, A time I changed my mind. Ooh, 
Um, most immediately, I think I changed my mind about coming to New Zealand. What was it? 16 years ago now, I was very much on the success path and thought I was going to stay in LA and be a film producer. And I changed my mind and I chose to come back and live on the land here on the family farm in Martinborough. It was a big change of my mind. And aren't we the lucky ones for that? Um, the book I recommend most often. Well, now that I can plug it, um, I've got a new book to recommend <gasps> written by one of my dear friends called What Looks Like Bravery. Ooh. And it's a lot about women who put their heads down and are driven beyond all um, realms of reasonable living. And they forget about the importance of being in place and living with the emotions and saying no, having boundaries. It's a great read. My friend Laurel Breitman just published it last week. And I am actually buying it for all of the female leaders I know because it's very mm -hmm. important homework and yeah. reflection around what we think success should be versus what the reality of our path getting there looks like and how important it is to, to allow yourself and be patient you know, on, on how you get there. Ah, uh, patience, the word that I've had to learn. Um, I will add that to the show notes and something I pretend to know more about than I actually do. <laughs> Long list there. Uh, oh, wine. I love wine. We live here in Martinborough and I, but I'm not, I don't spend enough time or money on wine properly to really understand, you know, all the language and the process, but I pretend to be a total wine savant. I love it. I love it. Lie your way through it. Uh, favorite flower? Ooh, um, dahlias, I think, at the moment. Because nice. they're bright, very colorful, and they persist despite all the odds. They do. Um, something you want to learn? Well, I think a lot more about this organizational emotion and how to harness the full continuum of what people feel at work and how to hold the space. That is definitely my thing. I love that. I totally love that. Um, one concert or gig you'll never forget? Well, just most recently, Harry Styles. I literally nearly almost lost my hearing because I was in a, in a, a stadium, what Mount Smart Stadium, surrounded by 40,000 young women. Yep. Incredible, but yep. it was so loud. So and loud. The security that was protecting Harry Styles was also phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Saving him from a million 15-year-olds launching themselves on the stage at him, I'm sure. Um, hot bath or hot shower? Bath, always. Like kind of girl. Uh, favorite film? Ooh, so many. <gasps> um, weirdly, The Shining is one of the best films ever made. And Jack Nicholson is just, he's brilliant. And it's really properly scary without actually the usual lazy scare tactics. Yes, it's in my top five. I'm in, uh, many people know this, I'm in a horror group. There's three of us. We sit Ooh. together every month and watch horror together. And I want to join your group. Come join us, honestly. I love horror a, film. And all our partners hate horror. So they're like, we're like, would you like to come around? They're like, no, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, so I'll, I'll join you to the group. Um, And current book that's on your bedside table, apart from you, obviously your friend's one that she's just released. Yes. Um, well, this, I actually study this book. I can show you because it's literally right next to me. It's called the Medici effect. And it's, I refer to it constantly and I always give it away to all my teams. It's truly cross 
functional thinking and diversity of thought in a way that an artist would think about solving problems. And I am a firm believer in investing in the creative side of your brain to really understand that blank canvas feeling and that feeling of uncertainty and discomfort when you're trying something out for the first time. But Medici effect takes it one step further where you actually look at different sectors and how they solve problems or look at nature and how they solve problems and then bring that into the particular issue you're dealing with. Like looking at cooling a building and looking at the way termites construct their mounds. I, I just find that fascinating. And I love finding those parallels in the most unlikely places. And this book is the best. That is going to be my next purchase. I've been told I am not allowed. We're moving from a big house to a very small house. And I've been told and banned from buying any more books. So I have to now buy them and hide them or go to the library. Um, so that's going to be next on my list. Ariga, thank you so much. Yes. So epic. We have to do this awesome. again. I yeah, see more. Well, I see more. Good. Thanks, Jane. Really enjoyed it. Bye. Bye.